Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. We just knew it would happen like that. It was written 100%. I wouldn't be surprised if someone on here predicted it before. But in Darren Helm's first game back against the Detroit Red Wings, gets himself a breakaway and finishes it perfectly. A Darren Helm breakaway goal without a moment's hesitation from him. The moment he started skating down, I went, yeah, it's happening. Even Ken said on the broadcast, didn't score that easily on them in Detroit. (laughs) Darren Helm, secret sleeper agent this whole time? (laughs) The Darren Helm is elite crowd, right? The whole time? (laughs) We'll call him early yeah he truly is just uh hitting his stride right now yeah i swear i swear the moment he got that puck i was like oh here we go (laughs) that game that that game for detroit was never going to be good for them jumbled up lineup playing out of sorts for multiple games in a row on a back-to-back where they just got shelled 6-2 against st louis on the road no bertuzzi still against Colorado like the most potent offense one of the most potent offenses in the NHL honestly at one point Chris Osgood at the end of the game said the Red Wings held their own to which I said well <laughs> I get what I mean you hold your own when it's like a 2-1 or 3-2 game right yeah that's, I think that's what that's supposed to mean it's like I get what you're getting at but no <laughs> uh, but the I get what you're getting at they did yeah. score three goals and I yeah. was like Hey, I had no expectation to win that game, so I'm impressed with three goals. The seven doesn't feel great. I hate when the goals add up to ten and you only have three of them. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's um, it feels like February hockey for the Red Wings right now. Does that make sense? No, because I'm still angry about the losses. Well, usually that's- by usually by February, late the past you know half decade, it's just been severe apathy. So I'm. I'm happy I'm pissed off about them, if that makes sense. I think what we should talk about this episode is the sole reason these losses are happening, which is the fact that we had the word playoffs in the title of our last episode. (laughs) And I don't think our conversation, I think our conversation actually alluded to a lot of what's happening right now. But, uh, you know, we said the magic word and all of a sudden the hockey gods were like, oh, hey, no, sorry. You guys actually pushed it about an inch too far. So that thing that we were saving for later this season, we're just going to do it all right now. So who's today's prospect profile? <laughs> <laughs> do we already do Shane Wright? Do we need to? Maybe. <laughs> Honestly, maybe. Anyhow, uh, welcome to the Wayne Wheel podcast, folks. Uh, it is getting more and more festive in this podcast studio every episode. Uh here and still cheery, I'm Ryan Hanna. The exact opposite of that, I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. Um, the thing that you see in front of you, if you're watching on YouTube, that's wrapped up in red and uh, with a green bow on it like a gift, that is the timber graph of um, Gordie Howe's signature that we usually have on the table. And uh, my better half, Mel, bought special red tape and those little green ribbon bow things just because she had that vision. Truly, every week she's just going to make one one more thing in this room uh, more festive. Evan's coming in a Santa suit next episode. That is not happening, but uh, I expect you to have at least one more Christmas tree in this house. We have four now. That's not nearly enough. How many do you have? One, because I'm a normal human being. <laughs> well, 
Well, sort of normal. Normal enough. You don't only have one Christmas tree. I actually think relative to Brad and I, you're extremely weird, but I see what you're saying. How many do you have, Brad? Two. Two. Although when uh, Ollie and Demon are around, it was one, right? Because that was Danger Zone. No, because the second one's a kid's one. Ah, uh, okay. So they put all their stupid homemade ones on that tree. Yeah, yeah, none's yeah. The, none the wider. Oh, no, that tree's three feet tall. That's It's just there for pure decoration. Yeah. As opposed to a normal Christmas tree. Hey, My that has a function of being the storage place for the gifts and where you put Santa's cookies. Do the kids, uh, have they ever been caught opening gifts early? Uh, Mika has been caught attempting. Good kid. Yep. She's conniving. I'd hate to be Mika's dad, man. She's too smart. I'd, I'd have to be on my toes all the time. Anyhow, uh, on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we're going to talk to you about uh, the Detroit Red Wings, their previous games, which, you know, we'll 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 touch on them, and uh, obviously their upcoming games and what the continuation of the conversation we had last episode about the trajectory of their season. Uh, There is an all-star update. So we've talked about potential all-star candidates in the past, and there are now actual players that you can vote for. Um, There's an update on the Olympics. (laughs) Spoiler. Uh, uh Uh-oh. And then there are some small notes regarding uh, world juniors and Red Wings, Red Wing prospects uh, heading over there. Most likely Uh, all before overtime. But before we jump into that, I want to take a second to recognize the Jamie Daniels Foundation. Uh, it was a it's a children's foundation initiative, and it was established in memory of Jamie Daniels and founded by Jamie's father and Red Wings lead announcer, who you'll know as Ken Daniels and Jamie's mother, Lisa Daniels Goldman. They strive to end the stigma of substance use disorder and provide support to those struggling with the disease or who are in recovery. To learn more and offer your support, visit jamiedanielsfoundation.org. Uh, justgiving.com slash wings money on the board if you want to contribute to that ongoing campaign more on that to come okay uh the red wings since last episode had two games one against uh st louis and one against colorado and they both the end results were equally terrible i don't really i don't think anyone's surprised i think we knew coming into it that they were gonna have a rough time i think having a hat trick dropped on you by an australian wasn't on my bingo card for sure yeah what do we make of this little stretch for detroit they are who we thought they were i mean we we've touched on it for about two or three episodes now where hey hey everyone just remember this is fun we're happy we're rooting for success but just understand that this team is being propped up by five players and if Three of those five players have anything less than an incredible night. The Red Wings are going to lose games. Mm -hmm. And uh, even though some of those players did play well in these two games, uh, notably Lucas Raymond's two points against St. Louis, it wasn't happening for them. And this is the result where they don't get superhuman goaltending and the top line doesn't score four goals. Legitimately, Lucas Raymond walking away with those two assists are... Like those are perfect assists. Oh, they're fantastic. Fabry two goals, credit to him. Like in St. Louis. Yeah, in St. Louis against his old team, first time in St. Louis. So, you know, the first time he scored against St. Louis when he was on Detroit was the previous game not too long ago, hustled down the ice for the empty net goal. This one was the perfect little touch pass by Raymond to frame the shot for Fabry and then the stretch pass for the breakaway. Excellent, excellent. And that was one of the only takeaways from the game. In my mind, for the Red Wings. Yeah. Yeah, it's not good. Yeah, that was the first 
not that you can blame him directly on a lot of them, but we'll call that the first off night for Alex and Delkovich of the year. Yeah, he got pulled after two periods. Yeah. I think it was a mercy, honestly. Like, yeah, there was deflections and shots through screens. I think Danny DeKaiser scored two on him, if I remember correctly. That one was, uh, let me say, like that was Nadel. It was a bad game by Nadelkovich. He deserved the pull. Um, that deflection included. Like, I thought that shot was perfectly stoppable. But in a game where you're not playing well, but your team's not doing you any favors either. There's no point setting him up for the third. They they called it right on the broadcast. I love Ozzy on the broadcast because he gives you good goalie perspective. They were getting Greiser warmed up for the Colorado game. Yeah. So. And how'd that go? <laughs> Was it 10 minutes he lasted? Something like that? Oh, boy. But, uh, yeah. So, I, I think, you know, I don't feel like Red Wings fans should have been brought back down to earth because we've all had to endure so much suffering as a fan base over the last five years that we've deserved the happiness of being in a playoff spot and all that. But this was the reality check that I think a lot of people were missing. Cause even during the five game winning streak, the Red Wings had two or three games in there that they had no business winning. And it was just like the Boston game, for example, they got to shot 42 to 16 and one. Yeah. That shouldn't have happened. That, their that, wins didn't look the, good. The, the score in the Avs game would have been more appropriate in that game than it was in the Avs game. So it's it's that reality check of, hey, they're still better than last year. There's still improvement. And there is a lot more reason for optimism. But the Red Wings are not as close as we would like to think. As much, as, as much fun as it is and as much as, hey, I'm not sitting here and saying Nedeljkovic and Larkin and Raymond and Sider can't drag this team into the playoff race they absolutely can because they have to this point but you're relying on three rookies and dylan larkin it's not super likely and we all knew it wasn't sustainable at the pace that they were at but you know as long as they can hang around here that's still a big 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 improvement over last year so the the ultimate diagnosis here is that the you know fun parts of the year are going to be like you said those X number of players just propping up this team, whatever one of their stars and then whatever one or two depth players for that night want to go off. And then they just win a game where they either shouldn't or they dominate a game out of nowhere. And that's fun. And the very unsexy part of the year is games where it's like, uh, yeah, the best thing that happened was like Vlad Nemestikov's hundredth critical. Congratulations, by the way. But then beyond that, not too much else happened. I, I felt crummy watching that game. I'm like, oh, God, how is there still half of this game left? Like, get this team out of here. But you're right, Brad. This isn't like pit of despair. There's nothing to look forward to. It's part of the process. Yeah, it was going to happen. Again, I I consider these games, two games, nothing but a reality check. That's all it was. We're, We're still ahead of where we thought the team would be. Yep. Um, Joe Valeno scored. Scored a goal that probably shouldn't have got in, but hey, he drove the net, put the backhand on net, and it went in. I'm surprised players actually don't try that play more. It's surprisingly effective because... Catches the goalies off. All you have to do is put the thought in the back of the goalie's head that you're going around the net. And if you can create a little bit of uncertainty in the goalie, it does open up some holes. Not in the sense that they're changing their stance or they're changing the position, but if they're expecting to push cross crease and all of a sudden it's going five hole, it's that extra... half second of oh this is wrong and then recovering and that's when pucks like that 
slip through. And you still have to be pretty pinpoint about it because it's not like they're giving you a huge opening. Yeah. But we, I think we talked about it literally last episode. It was like what Larkin did to Craig Anderson. Yeah. I, he, he had, Anderson had no idea if he was going short side or wraparound, but that indecision created goals and back-to-back games for Larkin. Plays like that work, and it's weird that players don't try it more. Especially, what's the worst outcome of that Valeno play? Rebound. A rebound probably or, into the slot. Or, f- oh no. <laughs> Shot on goal that's frozen. Like, whatever. Who cares? Offensive zone face-off. Oh no. Yeah. Like, Correct me if I'm wrong, and... Look, I wasn't a big player and my backhand was never threatening because I didn't discover what lats were until I was like 24 years old. And I'm You're using your lats to take a backhand. We're, I'm giving you a tutorial. As you can see, I wasn't very good at backhand. <laughs> <laughs> You're telling me your lats and your core have nothing to do with your backhand? I'm not saying nothing. Uh, they're a, a minor role in the process. As you can, as I've said before in this podcast, I was, a never, good sh- I was never a good shooter. <laughs> we, we can understand why. Um driving the net like the physical act of dropping your shoulder and pushing towards the net that's part of it right like if you just decide to not commit to driving the net it's easy for the goalie to read that situation and play it more safely i don't know if i'm just like overthinking this or galaxy bringing it but there's so many players who i'm like it's not always bad to kind of stop on a on a dime and turn around and look for the trailing guy or the defenseman coming in but there's no harm like you said just drop your shoulder and push towards the net create the opportunity especially outside of the red wings top line there's maybe two players on the two fours on this team who are capable of turning up in that corner and creating a really good passing player offensive zone cycle out of it the red wings bottom nine i'll say bottom six the second line can kind of hold their own in this respect chaos creates goals don't try to fine tune it when you're not a line that can fine tune it so a play like that by Valeno is perfectly acceptable. It's the one thing I love about Michael Rasmussen's game is when he has no play, he's just like, all right, mm-hmm. we're going to the net at a billion miles an hour because he's he can do it. I mean, I hate everything else about his game, but that one thing he's super effective at. And I think more players um, in the Red Wings depth role need to adopt that philosophy. And like you said, it paid off for Joe Valeno. Um, this isn't a masterclass and like Joe Valeno scored because he did the one thing that, you know, Red Wings players wouldn't do like NHL goalies hate this one trick. No, (laughs) it it was like a, it was a goal that probably shouldn't have gone in, but Joe did the right thing. And it was a bright spot and obviously, honestly, like a quiet to say the least stint for Joe Valeno, um, Pew Suter with a good saucer to, uh, Vlad Nemesnikov for his hundredth career goal. And I want to talk about Vlad again in a second here. And then, um, on the, uh, there was also the uh, Robbie Fabry, or sorry, oh, I'm mixing up games here. Sorry, uh, the Joe Valeno goal, and then the Vladimir Mesnikov goal, and then the Philip Peronic goal, the one timer. It was Letty to Zadina, who fed it across the the rink to Peronic, and it was just goalie was out of position, one t- one t right into the net. So small bright points are those three goals a reason to walk away from the game thrilled? No, but they did get three goals in the net, so. Against the team who has one of the, I think, statistically, I saw second worst goaltending in the league this year. Yeah, not good. And they're defending not great either. Colorado, don't get me wrong, vastly better team that game. Oh, yeah. The Red Wings have the New York Islanders upcoming. Um, the way they're playing this year and they're they're hosting them at home, I would think. Wait, it's in, in New York or it's in Detroit? In Detroit. 
Okay, I was gonna say because the Islanders haven't won in their building yet, so that just that had Red Wings written all over. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. I was super concerned. I was like, okay, it's in the LCA, so that there the cosmic uh, cosmic interference won't be there. That's on Tuesday night at seven thirty Eastern. So, if I, it's funny too, just on that on that note, I actually sent and deleted a tweet. I am the exact opposite of a superstitious person, but I deleted a tweet before I sent it because I knew what everybody's reaction would be. But then what I deleted happened anyway. And I'm like, of course, as soon as Nathan Walker got that second goal, oh, man. I'm like, he's getting, I had it. I'm like, <laughs> we all know he's getting the third, right? And I'm like, nope, nope. I'm not taking responsibility for this. Deleted it. I might as well have sent it. At least then I would have had the prediction part. What is that? His, that was his fourth, fifth and sixth career goals. Yeah, Half his career goals came in that one game. He doubled his goal to- total against the Detroit Red Wings. I'm glad we could help him. <laughs> To all you Aussie listeners of the podcast, that was actually a gift for you. We put in a good word with uh, Nedeljkovic and Gracer, so congrats. Good for Walker. Yeah, you do. It is cool. You just wish it didn't happen to Detroit. Yeah. Again, the Islanders, are they going to be an easy game? No, there's no such thing right now for the Red Wings. But if you want to reset and you're at home and you've had multiple, like, multiple days of rest, that's where you got to do it. Hopefully, all goes well. Bertuzzi's back in the lineup by then you know, to pending medical updates. But besides that, you just have to, the team has to dig deeper and find a way to, to get more. I do want to talk about Vlad Nemesnikov. He's doing well, man. He's, he's producing at a really impressive rate to the point where it's not like, it's not unheard of. It's not like he's doing something so unsustainable that anything would look at that and go, oh, something's wrong here. He's just producing like a really, really good depth score. He's getting like 15 minutes a night and he has how many points here? He has 15 points through 28 games, nine goals, six assists. That isn't going to go unnoticed come trade deadline. He was, I think, I don't know if it was Friedman or someone else in sports in that, but someone put out their trade bait article. Like it goes Jeff. The, the primer, and, it, and Nemesnikov and Letty were the two mentioned from Detroit. So, Nick Which Letty I thought was interesting because I would have not thought that Nemesnikov would have got more prime billing than Robbie Fabry, but that could be an indication of two things. So, what? Why isn't there more interest in Robbie Fabry? Because I think there's still more of a belief that he could be part of the solution. Whereas with Nemesnikov being in his late twenties, I think we know the reality with him yeah. and this team's future. As much as we all love Vlad, by the time the Red Wings are contending, he'll be like a billion years old. So no sense. But Fabry's what, 25, 26? He's younger. Yeah. So that you can still mi- mi- uh, milk a half a decade out of Fabry if you needed to. Yeah, he's 25. Yeah. So he'll be 26 soon. Yeah. So that's the difference between them, honestly. It's hard because Nemesnikov loves playing in Detroit, always is doing like the grab the jersey, grab the winged wheel, silly, um, obviously has ties to the city, growing up there for a lot of his life, um, loves, loves, loves playing for the team. And you just like to get behind those guys, especially while they're not, while the team's not winning too much. But eh, if the right offer comes in, if the offer is like a sixth or seventh, then you're like, no, it's not worth it. Legit, just bring him back. If this was one of the last two years, <laughs> trade him now. Yeah. Like, obviously, this team's earned, done enough to earn keeping everybody for a bit longer to ride it out to see what you really have. But as soon as the season's very obviously off the rails, maybe let's not wait for him to cool down. Kind of strike yeah. while the iron's hot. It's almost what you want to say about Bertuzzi, but there's obviously more there, and we won't get into that this episode. There's almost no team in the NHL, especially those in contention, who couldn't use another center. Yeah. Yeah. 
and he can play center. Like in a pinch, your third or fourth line, he'll do it and he'll be reliable and he might even produce. And on a team that's contending, he'll have really good teammates or line mates. Mind you, he's not been playing with absolute scrubs the whole time in Detroit, but he'll have it, it's eh, it who's the best player he's played with regularly, Adam Ernie. It, well, I will not hear any big earn slander <laughs> on this podcast. Yeah, and who is and who is his centerman most of this year? Uh, was it Michael Rasmussen? Yeah, there's a really good comment in overtime. I'm excited to read to you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> How much am I going to hate it on a scale of one to ten? It's going to be six because it's going to be fair, and that you won't like that. See, you say things are fair to get under my skin, but then they're not. <laughs> fair that's the, <laughs> the brad line um anyhow that's what the red wings have coming up they've obviously slipped from their the playoff spot that they were in i think you're right though no need for alarm bells it kind of is what it is you do want to see them reset though once bertuzzi's back in and once they've had their rest you know that's a tough couple of games to have back to back you don't want to see too much of this yeah this is the one part where I will say, because I've been way too easy on him this year, so I'm, I'm due to to be a bit of a dick, is this has got to be the Blashill wake up. Like, DeKaiser's been unplayable lately since he's come back. Like, ugh. I won't even get on the Rasmussen train because he's young enough that if you want to keep giving him some opportunities, just see what you got. I understand that. Fine. Whatever. Um, But holy shit. Dan- Danny DeKaiser had more goals on Alex and Delkovich than any... Than anybody on the ice not named Nathan Walker. <laughs> okay. I still think that deflection goal is savable, but your point stands. I don't pull on the, the, the Kaiser thread anymore because I don't think there's a point to it. For some the, the team's very well made up their mind on him. Oh, I don't actually care about what we do with the Kaiser. This is more so an indication of where the coach's mindset is at for me. He's um the whole Red Wings decor is not good. No, it's terrible. Moritz Sider's been a phenom- They've allowed 18 goals in the last three games, something yeah. like that. Moritz Sider's been a revelation, and he's been incredible for Detroit. And holy shit, him and, him and Raymond have just changed the trajectory of this rebuild with how good they've been so fast. It should have taken more than two weeks for Moritz Sider to be Detroit's best defenseman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like realistically. It's, and that's not a knock on Sider. Like... <sighs> I'm not saying they have no other choice but to play well, to Kaiser. I just don't think the alternatives are that much better. What was the stat from Sider about yesterday or Friday's game? That's right. We didn't even talk about this. In a game where Detroit, and this is from Dmitry Filipovich, friend of the podcast, and um, we'll chat with him again soon. He he called out this uh, tweet or this stat. In a game where at five on five, the Red Wings got out, outscored six to two, Moritz Sider was a plus two. <laughs> I am here to <laughs> extol the virtues of plus minus as a good stat again. When when we're talking about only a handful of players are propping up this team and the rest of the team is actually still really bad, by and large, that's the stat we need to reference. Yes. Yeah. That- the, the top D pair was a plus two and the rest was a minus six in one game. So. That was the uh, – <laughs> it is nice confirmation to know that, like, not everything is slipping away. I will say, though, it was a little horrifying with regard to the other um, Red Wings rookie phenom. When Lucas Raymond was skating off the ice and collided knee-on-knee with what's-his-face, it looked bad. Raymond looked like he was in pain, went down to the tunnel, and I went – Well, there's the season. See you next year, folks. Yeah. 
I, I didn't want to say what have I done to deserve this because it's a lot, but it did feel personal. Like that did feel personal against Red Wings fans. He did come out, test the knee and skate on it. So whatever it was, it might hinder him for a little bit, but he can very obviously play, which is. That is ideal. Yeah. So hopefully the little break has helped him. Anyhow, that's the Red Wings. Any other thoughts on this team? Trade targets? Because I brought up Vlad. Anything else like that? You know who could use Vlad? Colorado. Colorado. <laughs> like, unironically Colorado. I was thinking about that. He's kind of that guy to go back and play for his old teams a bunch, eh? Yeah. And he's he's a skilled guy. He'd fit in in Colorado. Maybe, man. And they, they seem perpetually injured. They seem like the new Tampa where they should win the cup every year, but like 12 guys get injured. I don't know if they're built the same way as Tampa. No, but you know, remember how Tampa... Ben Bishop got injured in the finals. Tyler Johnson broke his wrist in the finals. Steven Stamkos has missed how many playoffs. It's easy to forget because Tampa just won back-to-back cups. But for like six or seven years there, it was they were Washington. It was like astonishing they didn't have a cup. St. Louis and Washington really broke the mold and showed everyone that like rebuild timelines in your window. Like that's all good as a general measure. But when you use it as an exact science, it's bullshit. Yeah. And you can extend the window. Yeah. And you don't have to be at 100% in your you know, performance to be a, a realistic cup competitor. There were much better versions of the Blues and the Capitals that lost in the playoffs previously. Yeah. And it's hockey's the most random of the major sports. So you just want as many kicks at the can as you can with whatever. If you build a legitimately good core, you just need as many shots at it as you can get. That's all it comes down to. Pittsburgh, Washington, St. Louis, they're all. The exact perfect examples of it, even Tampa, I should say, because um, Stamkos and Hebman are the quote unquote main pieces of the core and they've been there forever. So uh, I thought Nemeskov played more games for Colorado, but it was apparently only nine at the end of a season. Huh? Yeah, they traded from it was a trade. Yeah, it was trade from Ottawa. Um, Nemeskov played for Ottawa. <laughs> yeah. 54 games. Jeez, I, I remember the color, nine Colorado games more than I remember the 54 Ottawa games. Tampa and then the Rangers and then... I remember those pretty clearly. Oh, he got... Did he get... Tra- yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the Rangers and then Ottawa and then Colorado and before coming to Detroit. Yeah, he's... A bit he, of a suitcase. He's due to go back. Yeah, I feel... I'd, I genuinely will feel bad if he gets traded, but hey, if I survived Gus Nyquist... Gus Nyquist truly was the first one where I was like, oh, this hurts. This hurts yep. once you accept the rebuild. Yep. Anyhow, um, a positive note, and it's not like all decided right now, but seeing all-star candidates and seeing like a vote for your divisional captains thing. So really right now, it's just the fans deciding who the captain of the all-star divisions are. But seeing Larkin, Raymond, and Sider named as the Red Wings candidates, you're just like, holy shit. And those guys actually make sense. Like, any one of those guys could be named, and you're like, yeah, absolutely. This is all rigged against Detroit now. It was just designed to split the vote. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> it's it's all a big conspiracy. Um, yeah, so the Red Wings have uh, three prime candidates for the Atlantic Division. Um, some teams have four. Some teams have oh, Rasmus Dahlin, Kyle Ocposo, and Tage Thompson are the nominees out of Buffalo. Oh, my God. Yeah. Imagine being on Buffalo and that you're not one of those three people. And hey, look, those guys are producing relative to Buffalo. Like, oh, Darlene's got 15 points. 
Uh, Acaposo's got 19, and Tage Thompson has 16. A little under the radar. When you only have like six viable forwards to play every night, like yeah, yeah. someone's going to accidentally get some points. Yeah. Anyhow, uh, because we're only voting for one guy, we as a Red Wings collective need to rally around one person to vote for. I think. I don't know how to do it. Or just make multiple accounts and vote for all three. So what's get, what, if we got to do this strategically... It's got to be a forward because I think most siders is going to get one of the defensive spots just on merit. And there's no way the NHL is going to bring two Red Wings forwards. So we got to we got to put one of them there. I think they'll bring two Red Wings forwards. I don't see they're how not, they leave. They do not leave. They are not getting down. they are not getting three Red Wings on that team. Why not, though? You don't think you don't think Raymond and so, let's say. Am Mark I saying and, they should be there on merit or do I think no, no? What do you think would happen? The NHL's bungling this up. It's going to be two of them. I don't think Larkin's going to go. Nah, that's unfortunate. I think he deserves to. He absolutely does. He a thousand. All three of them deserve to be there. They're propping up an entire NHL franchise. <laughs> <laughs> a good one. Yeah. So a franchise that was in a playoff spot as late as December. So yeah, they deserve to be there. But you know how every year there's. One of Rasmus Dahlin, Kyle Oposo, or Tage Thompson has to be there. So they're taking one of someone else's spot. These are the Jimmy Howard times for Buffalo. Yeah. Where you got to send, you have to send someone. Remember when Mike Green was an all-star? <laughs> <laughs> On like the downward curve of his career. Yeah. You just, every team has to have one, which means way more deserving players aren't going to go. So we have to, we have to strategize this. All right. Leave it up to you, the listeners. Who of the Red Wings? So you're saying down to Larkin and Raymond. Who do you vote for? I'd go with Raymond. It's a better story. He's got more points. And let me just say, I don't think it's realistic that any Red Wing wins his vote. No, it's going to be, I don't know, pick whatever. Bark off. It'll, no, it'll be Matthews or whatever Canadian fan base gets all up or and at it. Or the trolls come out and Kyle Oposo gets it. <laughs> Wait, who is like the most, like the biggest? It's got to be Kyle Oposo. How would there be anybody worse than Kyle Oposo on this nomination list? Hear me out. Michael Rasmussen. <laughs> oh, they're allowing write-ins again? No, no. You can just select any player from uh, each division. I thought, then what's the point of the three? Well, those are the ones that they like kind of put up on. Oh, the so screen. you can do, you can put right You can, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. If you if you if you're going by your logic, then you put in Raymond. I think it's a better story. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Anyhow, uh, you only think two because I actually think all three of those guys are going to be named to the team. I hope you're right. I don't have any faith in the NHL to get this right. I'm ultra optimistic. I don't see how they leave Larkin off the captain. It's an I easy person do. to send. They've- yeah, I just said that out loud. And I'm like, no, that was stupid. <laughs> As is tradition on this podcast. Oh, well, it'll be fun to see. Um, the all-star break feeds into the Olympics because, wow, those are not happening. <laughs> After our last week's discussion, I just, you know, I had this growing sense all week. I'm like, I, I, you know what? I don't think they're going to go. No. What was it? The absurd uh, quarantine rules in China, the new COVID variant that everybody's freaking out about, the rising numbers around the world. Like, you know. Any one of these things uh, playing a part? Honestly, if I've tested positive, I would not want to quarantine in China for three to five weeks. Yes. And especially as a player, and even probably even more so as an owner, 
because that just sucks for everybody. Because you under the under the agreed upon rules between the PA and the NHL, if a player has tested positive but they're vaccinated, you still got to pay that player. So they are quarantining on the other side of the planet, a minimum of three weeks, up to five, because they have to produce two negative tests at least 24 hours apart. So that quarantine could last up to five weeks in China, and then they have to come back to either Canada, Canada or the States. That's like, they can miss an entire run up to the playoffs. I, I just, I can't believe that this is, I, I cannot think of a scenario in my head where this goes through. I will be shocked if it does. And that, I don't say that lightly. Olympic hockey is some of my favorite hockey ever. Like I, it is some of my f- strongest memories. And I think some of the greatest moments in hockey history happened on, in Olympic hockey tournaments. And I don't think they should play it this year. Gary Bettman had the most eloquent, like, chess move troll quote, the, like, maybe two days ago. And it was just, oh, it was just chef's kiss. He said, we'll honor the players' wishes to go because we know that means a lot to them. <laughs> and it's like they've totally taken the ball out of their court and have left it up to the Players Association so if they don't end up going, it doesn't look like it's a bad move on the owners. It looks like it's a bad move on the players. It's just uh, the mind games is just amazing. They know that that was a P a hand that like through no fault of the PAs, that was a hand that was overplayed because I agree. If I was the NHLPA, the, the, the players do care about what Olympic hockey, a, a an international best on best means for the support for the sport and for their careers. Like that's what they dreamt of as a kid. NHL players come in and what do they do? They often take less money or different situations or uproot their whole family for a better chance of the cup. The only other thing that's even remotely comparable is the winning the gold medal for your team. Sidney Crosby dreamt about his, his game winning his gold medal winning goal, probably almost nearly as much as lifting the Stanley cup. But now through circumstances, not within their control, it has, it is like a, it's almost farcical. It's it's silly that this is a priority. And the NHL is going to lean on them for this. And it's going to be used as a chip in the next negotiations. And it's going to suck. And we're honestly going to have to go, oh my God, how many, a dozen years before we see, like between NHL players at the Olympics. Oh God, that makes me so sad. Why doesn't the NHL just do their own... Well... International tournament with all the country... Just literally just Olympics... NHL trademark. They've done the World Cup of Hockey. Ring yeah. a bell to you? Is that the one that gets played uh, in the spring, or is that the World Championship? That's, That's the World, World Championships. Championships during. You remember playoffs. Team Young of North America versus Team Sum of Europe? Yeah, but what countries are those? Exactly. I don't know. That, that was the NHL's version of exactly what you're talking about. So why don't they just do all the countries? Well, They're. Do it their own way with because. blackjack and hookers. Like, <laughs> just do it their own way. They did. That's how we got Team Young of North America versus Team Sum of Europe. Yeah, but That's I mean, exactly like, exactly what they did. But if they're like, <laughs> we don't get any money for this, why don't they just do their own thing with Team Canada, Team USA, and then they get all the money and the broadcasting rights? Evan, they've done this, <laughs> but not. With, I don't want Team North America. I want Team Canada versus the U.S. They had that as well. 
the Tim Young of North America and some of Europe was the blackjack and hookers. <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't want those teams because I want those players to play for the country. I want no blackjack and hookers. Only uh, his story is changing now. Only like <laughs> it, it's it's more so like a metaphorical thing. Got it. Metaphorical blackjack, but actual. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm literally saying, why don't they just say? Like, you know, all the companies just rip off other companies' designs, and they're like, oh, yeah, this is ours now. They Here's the thing. It's been done before. It's a conversation that gets brought up a lot. People like me have shot it down in the past to say, no, the Olympics are the Olympics. You can't create, recreate it. And let me just say, I don't think the NHL's made a faithful recreation of the Olympics and executed it well. Nothing in my mind has compared. I'll hear that conversation now because I think you make a lot of very fair points. They literally control the entire situation. And they can, if this is the biggest if on the face of the earth, if the NHL could market this properly, it would be, it could be just as big and just as important as the Olympics. I'm down to do it in two years when they have, Bretman said, like, we'll think about that when we can come up for air, which I think is is, is an understandable point. I think they should do it in two years and do it alternating. Two years, every two years, uh, you'll have an international best on best. One is run by the NHL. One's by run by the um, International Olympic Committee. Whoever, you know, whatever reason there is to not go to the Olympics that year, pandemic, global war. I don't know, Brad's fault for some reason. Okay, at least we don't have to wait another four years to see McDavid and Crosby play together, or to see Matthews, you know, score in his prime or whatever it might be. It just sucks to go a dozen years seeing without seeing NHL players at the Olympics. We're not going to see Connor McDavid in the Olympics until he's like 28. He's going to be how old Crosby was when we were talking about Crosby and McDavid the first time. That's going to be sad, man. We're one one injury away from seeing Connor Bedard in the Olympics before Connor McDavid. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, it's it does not look good. The points you're raising, Evan, are fair, and it's something that it's a discussion that's happening across the board. Um, and... As a hockey purist and someone who likes the Olympics and wants them to remain in the Olympics, I have I now have to concede that it's a very fair point and you, you have to consider it. If you want international best on best, you need to bring it in your control. The reality is these games are happening in China right now. And it's what time of the day would these games even be on? That's in 7 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> in a in a global in a global circumstance that isn't what we are in right now, which is putting it lightly, there's an opportunity here for the NHL to market to China. But right now, this is a salvage operation at best, and I don't think it's going to happen. Um, the whole thing is just like a mess. It's just a disaster. Are they allowing fans? I don't know, man. Don't okay. Know. Eh, who knows? Who knows? I wouldn't. like. It's an expensive stay. Five weeks? Shit. Yeah, Jesus. Well... Um, remember when we were sad because Lucas Raymond might not get to rep Team Sweden? Probably better now. Because <laughs> if for some reason they go, it's probably best that we don't lose Lucas Raymond for five weeks. Because, you know, Larkin and Sider and everyone else would yeah, be enough. Depends on your feelings on Shane Wright. It, de- it does depend on my feelings about Shane Wright. Um, we'll see how that one unfolds. I think we're going to see quite a bit of movement in the coming weeks. The NHL has about a month to decide. Uh, without losing any money and as we know the nhl loves to not lose money so i think we'll get that uh that in place soon 
Before we move any further, I do want to let everyone know that this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast is proudly brought to you by this FanDuel Sportsbook, uh, a sponsor that gives hockey fans what we really need, even more ways to be excited. There's a lot of reasons they're America's number one sportsbook. Uh, they're simple to use. It's tons of fun with unique bet types. And when you win, you get your winnings safely in as little as 24 hours. Uh, it's easy to register. The payouts come quickly, and of course, there are always odds boosts and special uh, deals. Every day, some big super boosts happen, uh, especially on the weekends. Now listen to this. FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Just place a bet on any game, and FanDuel will refund you up to $1,000 back if you don't win your first bet. No strings attached. If you win, you keep the cash, and if you lose, you get up to $1,000 back in site credit. What we want you to do now is download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started with a risk-free bet of up to $1,000. And when you sign up, be sure to sign up with promo code WWP so that they know the Winged Wheel podcast sent you. Again, that's FanDuel Sportsbook promo code WWP uh, for an incredible range of betting options, player props, futures, whatever you're looking for. You must be 21 and older and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, Tennessee, Virginia, or Michigan. First online real money wager only. Set credit is non withdrawable and expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See sportsbook.fanduel.com for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, or Virginia. Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789. Uh, 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia. Or call 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan. News on the the NHL's players' um, escrow debt to the owner should be paid off in about three years, they estimate. And we should see at which point the um, salary cap is liable to explode or go up drastically once that they clear that hurdle. In the meantime, I do think it's going to go up uh, a little bit. I think they said One a million, million bucks. Yeah. Toronto so, breathes a sigh of relief. <laughs> yeah. So the salary cap should rise significantly the year most Sider and Lucas Raymond are due for raises. Fan fucking tastic. <laughs> well, well, I mean, it gives them room, right? Like if you want to give those guys long-term deals at like seven to eight or whatever it might be, then that doesn't look so daunting. Understandably, Eiserman has a cap space now, but in general, that's easier to stomach when you have the room if they sign that before the cap goes up but they sign it like before the the contract actually kicks in like in advance as early as they can there's something to be had there right yes because uh both Sider and lucas raymond's agents are going to have no idea that the salary cap's going up well just we, we just broke the news sneak it up on them uh hey mo lucas if you're listening to this <laughs> no i i think <laughs> those guys are going to play and earn whatever they play and earn right oh like, yeah these aren't they're these aren't anthony mantha's and their bridge deals like they're going to earn their money or they're going to very knowingly accept a bridge deal because they're going to get paid big eventually. They're going to get their paydays. The question is, how much in the margins do they move? Are they closer to team friendly? Is it closer to a little bit of an overpayment? Knowing Steve Eisman and knowing how much those guys love being Red Wings, I'd guess towards the former, but I'm biased, right? So we'll see what we'll see what it is, but it's not going to be a $5 million underpayment or a $5 million overpayment. It's not going to be anything crazy like that. Credit to Max for pointing out the um, that's when their contracts come up. So yeah, it's it's probably going to be eighty two point five million. It is going to help out some teams, um, and it is indicative that the NHL has been able to generate some revenue and bounce back in a strong way after the pandemic, which is promising. So you know your f- the floor is not going to fall out from beneath your favorite sport for now. <laughs> 
for now. Arizona might drag him into a black hole. Okay, what's the deal? <laughs> we actually need to talk about that. Arizona. <sighs> okay, look, we all knew when that statement came out from the Coyotes that the reason they were almost going to get evicted early from their arena in Glendale for not paying rent, that when they said it was a, a human error, nobody who operates with that many commas in their payments for rent has clerical errors and nobody who makes that kind of threat or that kind of statement or puts like a lien on the, the property or whoever, whatever it is, that doesn't happen without notice and discussion. The coyotes legit didn't pay rent and they didn't make other necessary payments to Glendale and whoever else. The government. This team is a disaster. This ownership group is a disaster because it's one thing if you look at this story in a bubble and go, okay, Coyotes missed a bunch of payments, probably hurting for money. That sucks, but it's understandable. Then you couple what the recent news with the story that I believe it was Katie Strang put out uh, a while ago, detailing how, for lack of a better word, scummy the ownership group of this team is, so much so to the point where it was detailed that they would owe money to smaller businesses and then not pay it and then lean on them to accept a smaller amount to ultimately pay less money for services that were already rendered to prices that were already agreed upon. So you you know that's their background and then all of a sudden they're not paying arena fees and this and that. I don't think it's a huge leap to assume that something like that's going on here. It could be a bit of that. It could be a little bit that, Hey, it is hard financial times for everybody, especially the Arizona coyotes. They're not an NHL team that generates a lot of money. So they probably are hurting. So it's understandable. But like I said, you can't ignore that report because a zebra doesn't change its stripes. Oh, that's a new one. Oh, yeah, Brad hasn't hit us with that one before. It's accurate here. They, they after the initial reporting came out that they could get locked out of their arena on December 20th, they did bring two checks to the city's arena manager. Um, one of them covered the costs from the 2020-2021 season that was due on June 30th, so just in time. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the other covered game day expenses up to this point in the season. So they've... They've gotten rid of the immediate danger. They've paid off their highest um, highest interest amount credit, which is if you're in debt, pay off the highest uh, interest rate first, among other things. This is not legal advice. Um, however, they still need to pay rent on their arena, Gila River Arena. Like they, they literally owe rent still. From everything, I sure wish I could skip my rent for six months and not get kicked out. For everything Brad just said, to this, to the reports about Houston, to all these attempts to make hockey work in the desert. And look, I want hockey to expand to non-traditional markets because that's how you get Austin Matthews in the game. That's how you make the game more popular. That's how you grow the sport that we all love. And we want as many fans to see how this is the greatest game on ice. I want hockey to work in the desert. Gary Bettman will die on this hill. He, uh, honestly, at the rate, how long that this has been happening... He might actually. Although I think, to be honest, he said, like, the Atlanta Thrashers are not moving. And then literally, like, 
10 days later, they moved. It was remarkable how quickly Atlanta ended up in Winnipeg. They are going to be mum about it until the day they move. Here's the thing. NHL, or actually sports franchises, are now a hot commodity again. Their values are skyrocketing, and there are more sophisticated buying attempts than just like Jim Ball Silly. (laughs) Buying a bunch of land in Waterloo and saying, I'm buying a team. And the NHL going, well, no one really likes you, buddy, so maybe not. Like, there's like look at the group that bought the most of the penguins like that is a like a conglomerate like that is a group it's essentially a big fund that just buys up more stuff um so someone's going to jump on the opportunity you don't have to wait for a winnipeg to pop up quebec city already exists houston already exists there will probably be suitors for kansas city there will probably be suitors for a couple other canadian cities as well like there's no shortage of places that want a team and have the billionaires or the the organizations to buy these teams I agree with the NHL stance. Don't move a franchise unless you absolutely have to. But they, I, the clock has to run out at some point. It's been 25 years. The clock ran out five years ago. I mean, again, I'm in the mindset of you don't move a team unless you there is no other option. Just think of the absurdity of this entire situation. This is a team that has had a quarter of a century to build a large fan base in a very large market. It has not happened. They have owners who are notorious scumbags and are trying to rip people off constantly and owe a ton of money and don't pay their debts, et cetera, et cetera, as we just laid out. This is a team that as of next season doesn't have anywhere to play. There's talk about them playing in Nassau Coliseum or kind of playing out of other arenas or a university arena or anything. And then they're talking about, okay, well, we can build an arena that's not even in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. They're talking about going outside of Phoenix once again, albeit a little closer, but still outside of Phoenix once again. Put all this together. What what part of any of this seems like a good idea? This is the definition of putting a Band-Aid on a bullet wound. It's nothing stopping the bleeding here. If you care about the financial well-being of the NHL, which every fan should because... It only feed, ends up feeding back into your own favorite team. You need to stop the bleeding. And the way to stop that now, the only way to stop that now, is get them the hell out of this situation. I truly do not care if it's Houston, Kansas City, Quebec City. Fucking Saskatoon at this point. I don't Saskatoon, care. Saskatoon, eh? <laughs> Saskatoon. That's good. I don't care. It can't be worse. It can't be more absurd. It can't be more dumb. And it can't be more of a financial burden than the Arizona Coyotes are and have been for a long time. At some point, when the entire NHL has recovered and the small market teams are making big money again, they will complain because revenue sharing is a thing. And they're going to say, hey, you know, 29 or 30 or 31 other teams are contributing to this and we are just propping up. The Arizona Coyotes, depending on how long this goes. I've not seen it at this point, though. I've not seen it where it's like they might have the doors locked, like metaphorically speaking. Although uh, if it was literal at this point, it wouldn't shock me. I think there was a report saying they wouldn't let any team personnel in unless they paid their debt. Now, that's not going to happen because the NHL will step in. The NHL will step in. They'll pay the goddamn debt if they have to. But, But. And you know what? Like the NHL is supposed to have this very rigorous vetting process to approve ownership groups. If I, if Evan donated like 1% of his overall money and we bought the Red Wings for $1.2 billion, they wouldn't 
it wouldn't just the sale wouldn't just go through. The NHL ownership and board of governors would have to approve the sale. Very obviously, the ownership group in Arizona is not rock solid, but they were at a point where they were like, someone with money wants to keep this team in Arizona. And so ugh, that's kind of what we, just, we have to go with. So checked, up, there's the two boxes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> this, this ownership group is, and the NHL vetting them is like the beer league captain having an 11-15 game. Half the team has said they're not coming. You're showing up with five players and maybe a goalie, so you're calling your unstable cousin just to be a warm body on the bench. That's what this ownership group is. And he kills people at the league <laughs> games. He walks out of the walks out on the ice swinging his stick with the two hands for no reason. Exactly. Yeah, it's um, it's a little ugly and it's looking very Atlanta Thrashersy. It's kind of like at the Atlanta Thrashers lost their team for less. They had no owners who wanted to keep it in Atlanta, and that that's a different thing. But still. Let's put it, let's boil it down to this because this is the part that I can't believe more people aren't talking about. They are talking about building this from what the early reports are extremely beautiful arena in Tempe, Arizona, which I'm sure is going to cost a lot of money, take a while to complete, yada, yada, yada. If you're investing money in the Arizona Coyotes and you have looked at the Arizona Coyotes revenues for the last 25 years, and you have to wait four years with no certainty of where you're going to play in that four years. Are you willing to spend that money on the new arena? Are you taking that gamble? Are you betting, however, hundreds of millions of dollars that this is all of a sudden going to start working? That That is the worst investment in the history of investments. You need to move them to a place where there is an arena already built. Houston. <laughs> I know I know, Canadian hockey fans hear me out. don't want to hear it, but... Toronto. Two teams in Toronto maximum chaos it's apparently only 20 minutes from phoenix to tempe so it's not like it's way it's out not, of the way way to but be fair that's also like saying it's only an hour drive to toronto no 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 like it it literally says 20 minutes to drive well maybe you're right you now. need to have yeah, arenas downtown i think anywhere within 30 minute drive of the city that you're supposed to be in so that's like canada okay no <laughs> let me rephrase there's one road man and it freezes <laughs> over <laughs> i feel like i emphasized the wrong point here Imagine they're building a $500 million arena downtown Phoenix for a franchise that has lost money for 25 straight years. Yeah, it's hard. And you know they're going to ask the public for the money too, which, which don't is, do that. Yeah. I don't care where this arena is. This, this, and I, you can say, oh yeah, but they haven't had that many good teams. Doesn't matter. It's 25 years of failure. You're not all of a sudden peeling a fan base out of the bedrock. Like, Again, I am very much don't move a team unless you have no other options. In my mind, this is the no other options. You're there's legitimate conversations happening about the Coyotes being like a traveling team and playing out of different arenas <laughs> for a couple of years so they can have an arena built. Think of a professional North American sporting franchise that might have to go multiple years playing out of a university arena or playing nothing but road games, or borrowing Nassau Coliseum, or some dumb bullshit like that. This is insane. Gary Bettman's already done enough horrifying things this year. Now he's going to do this as well, and he's going to keep this dead ship alive. It's wow. it's insanity to me. I get the, you can't abandon a fan base, all the fans of the Coyotes, and there are more of them than people will joke about, but still, it's it's nonsense. This is dead 
with a crazy ownership group, no good arena options, and three or four other markets going, we can fix this. You know what? Two teams I think might be banging the table the loudest. And this is like, there's no source on this, but just through logic, the Vegas Golden Knights had to pay $500 million for their team. And the Seattle Kraken had to pay $650 million for their team. And now they're going to pay to prop up this goddamn team when uh, revenue sharing actually matters again. They were watching <laughs> the feet at the Arizona Coyotes had like well, probably 25 grand in profit so far this year, something like that. You think the Coyotes have profited no, this year? They're definitely in the red, very obviously. But no, I'm I'm ever the optimist, and I would I would think that what the NHL Board of Governors and Gary Bettman has to do is another last ditch effort to but secure the, the financial backing for this team to keep it in Arizona. And I think there's a way for it to work. And no, I think a new arena is fine. No, that's the but point. You though, have to new- wait so long. You're right. You have to wait so long. The new arena is the point of no return. Like, this is it. This is the breaking point. Either you get them the hell out of there now or they're never leaving. Because if you're dumping all that money into an arena, you can't up and move them two, three years after if it doesn't work. You can't. Okay. That is chips all in. Who wants to put money down on where the Arizona Coyotes franchise is in two years? Oh, I know where I put my money, but I don't want to put my money on that because it's the worst option. Put your money down. Come on. It'll be fun. I said Arizona. How much were you willing to bet? 20 bucks. Oh, my God. Money back. Yeah, all right. 20 bucks in Arizona. I think it's... mm, Where are you going to say Houston? I'm going to say Arizona because Gary Bettman's an idiot. Well, now I'm going to go off the board and I'm going to say Houston. I want it to be Houston or Quebec City or wherever else. It should be, but... This has been a ship that should have been like co years ago, and they're just they're not. This is the hill they're dying on. I want insane. I want Quebec City so badly because of that blood feud between Montreal and oh a thousand percent. But I think it's smarter to keep to do Houston feasibly. It's it's not the best option. You'd have to rejuggle the divisions. It's not the biggest market. Corporate sponsorships a problem. They do have the arena, yeah, which is relevant. So we can't completely dismiss Quebec. Um. But yeah, Houston has the arena. Um, apparently, Tillman Fertitta has already had conversations with the NHL about having a team. Apparently, his bid was a little too low for the NHL's liking. But if Arizona's losing money, and this guy's willing to pay anything, that's already a net positive. Um, Most NHL franchises are, are valuing anywhere from $800 million to a billion right now. You can get the Arizona Coyotes for some Dairy Queen coupons and probably 50 bucks. 15 bucks and some belly button links. Yeah, yeah. And, that's mine, by the way. And also, it's worth noting... Not counting Mexico City, Houston is the biggest city in North America that does not currently have an NHL team. Mexico City? I it's probably better than Arizona <laughs> at this point. See. They could nice. Good job. Um, not the first time you've spoken Spanish on this podcast. I am cultured beyond belief. You are the second most uncultured person <laughs> I've ever met in my life. Yeah, his, 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 left, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> his exotic travels around the world include Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Yes. It's <laughs> fake. It's a fake place. Yeah. It is not real. No one believes you. And you see, you know how many people came out of the woodwork and in the comments like Jackson Hole is real. Here's a time where I went to Jackson Hole on February 35th. 1999, I went to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and the president was there, and I shook hands with Evan, and that's where the – it's all bullshit. You're lying. Yeah, all it's, it's all garbage. Happened. Jackson Hole's as real as the earth is round. <laughs> let's, let's not get into that today. 
<laughs> okay. Uh, little, I have uh, one question for you. Okay. Uh, the Red Wings were in the building. Uh, their scouts were in the building for Evander Kane's first HL game. Yeah. Okay. I don't know how much to make of that. Scouts are everywhere all the time. I mean, if a team is going to reta- potentially retain half his salary, yeah. maybe you just go and do your due diligence. Or as Ken Holland would say, kick some tires. Kick some tires. Evander Kane, if you can get him with a middleman at half cost, he comes in at two million bucks. If you believe you can fix him, spoiler, they probably can't. But if if you believe they can, it's basically a no risk gamble because if you bury him in the minors or just cut him outright, you're not on the hook for that much cap hit. It's it would be very minimal. If I'm the Red Wings, I don't do it because I don't think they've got the veterans and the leadership group that could really rein in. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know if anybody can, but have you seen Mark Stahl? The the oh yeah. Um, well, they might just run hand in hand together. Um, it's teams maybe like the Bruins or like the Pittsburgh Penguins that could maybe wrangle them in, but like I don't I don't know. Maybe the Red Wings get them for like a month, flip them to the Bruins or Penguins. I don't know. I'm I'm team. They're scouting to evaluate his actual value so they can get what they need to to retain in the trade. Um, I've probably voted for second and third chances for more players than I care to admit because I often can't see past talent and I often overlook glaring personality flaws. I, I don't think that you can do anything to fix Evander Kane. I think you're right. But hey, if another team wants to and they're pushing for the playoffs and they want to find talent on the cheap, um, you know, like look, look, look what Carolina did with um, what's his face on defense. They signed him for a million bucks. He's outperforming that deal. Um, Tony D'Angelo. De- yeah, yeah. And like, yeah, he has he had his baggage. And they, to like a lot of criticism, signed him. And he's outperforming that contract. If a team wants to do that with Evander Kane, yeah, sure. And if the Red Wings can get like a second or third round pick for retaining some salary, yeah, sure. Um, Wait, they should. He should play in Toronto because him and the Toronto media would be actually maximum chaos. Oh, oh yes. I'd start watching Canadian hockey media again. <laughs> the thing is, I'm like I'm team not in Detroit, but with the amount of focus on character and the guys in the room, if the Red Wings and Eiserman and Draper and Verbeek and all of them and their staff decided, yeah. Evander Kane, for whatever reason, ignoring if it makes sense in a hockey context. If they chose to bring him in, I'd say, yeah, well, then they're confident that they can rein him in and let's see how it goes. But I don't pull too much from that report. I, I'm not putting a ton of weight into it. Scouts are at way more games than is newsworthy. Do we need veterans to rein him in if we have Steve Eisman? Can you imagine Evander Kane showing up in Detroit? Eisman calls him up to his office and just sits there and stares at him for 10 minutes and doesn't say a word. You think Evander Kane's not getting his shit together that day? Yeah, actually, Eisenman should hire out his services. Hey, you want my, uh, you want me to get some shithead on your team together so we can score thirty goals instead of you know being charged with whatever? Sure, give me a second round pick. I'll be over there tomorrow. <laughs> Show up at his house in California. All right, time to get to overtime. Uh, let's get a few overtime questions in. Uh, for overtime, we want to thank our Patreon supporters, Patreon.com/slash/WingedWheelPodcast. They are the reason we are able uh, to do this show and. Um, just generally shoot the breeze shoot the shoot the shoot someone said that to me the other day shoot the shoot did you smack them no um we're going to take a few overtime questions but for all patreon supporters check uh patreon or your custom rss feed after the episode usually a day later and we post a full uh overtime that's patreon exclusive for you to listen to with all questions and comments answered 
Um, Andrew Richardson asks, what are your thoughts on Nick Letty's play the past few games? Everybody's allowed cold streaks. He's uh, He had a pretty good start to the year, Nick Letty, and it was very apparent that the Red Wings didn't have Nick Letty last year. The cold streaks have been there, though. Yeah. I'm not terribly concerned. The NHL rides off reputation a lot. And I don't think he's been bad every game. I think his trade value is the same as it was before, as it always is going to be leading up to the deadline. So as long as he stays healthy, I'm kind of cool with whatever from Nick Letty. I don't think his play like really dictates a high or a low ceiling for his value. It's sort of just like he's not the kind of guy if he goes on a heater, like his value goes through the roof. But if he's playing bad, it's not like it drops significantly either. So. I think his value will basically remain steady unless the market really goes for a tank into the seller's uh, direction or in their favor. Yeah, I I just, especially in in markets where scarcity and hype and emotion dictates so much of a return, because things come fast and furious when when a deadline actually happens. One GM gets FOMO and all of a sudden is throwing first rounders around like it's candy. All of a sudden you're putting 50 grand into GameStop when it reaches peak at 400, you know? I'm fine. This is fine. Buy high, sell low. I actually almost pulled the trigger on GameStop once, eh? I did it. I almost did it at 200. It was a wild ride, let me tell you. And my meeting ran long and I lost it. And I lost the chance to do it. And it was at 400 literally five seconds later. Hmm. And I was like, I could have made 100% right there. That yep, fast. That's the stock market it's all, for you. It's all bullshit. Um, Large, the prophet of the towering behemoth, says, which one is worse? Quote, yeah, and he complained about it a little bit that he wasn't getting the calls. Quite honestly, just shut up. Don't talk about it. Or, quote, it's cool. My position is, though, is it good for the game? I hear Ray say all the kids are doing it now. I'm not trying to be a fool here. I'm just not so sure it's great for the game. John Tortorella, if he was calling the shots, the U.S. would still rely on the Pony Express. <laughs> Man, I, I try so hard to like John Tortorella, but like this is just a either it's one of two things. It's a special level of old hockey man stupid or he's doing it to get attention. I think it was a bit for the show. I absolutely it, think it, it had too. to have been because the crazy thing about the now to the hockey world's credit, I have not seen as much of the old hockey man pushback after the Zegras assist, after the, what do we call it, the dish again? Um, That's pretty good, actually. Um, sounds a little dirty. It sounds kind of like a, a bedroom thing. That makes it even better. So, but if Zegras tried something like this 20 times this year and it worked once. Yeah, he got himself knocked out or something. Yeah, like- yeah, cut it out. This is stupid. He tried it once and it resulted in a goal, which is a net positive for his team. It was a hockey play that worked. How can, like, John, are you kidding? <laughs> Too much. Yeah. Look, it was something exciting that happened. I think, I think the play was very good. Is it, <laughs> I'm going to sound like a bitter, oh, only Lucas Raymond can do good. And I promise that's not what it is. Was it a great play? Yeah. Was it unreal that happened in a game? Yes. Was it exciting as hell? Yes. Was it the world's best play? I don't even think it was the best goal this year. But I, it's it's exciting. It's flashy. It gets people excited about the NHL, and that's it's fine to advertise it this much. I'm not the kind of person who hates a contrarian on a show because sometimes you do need a heel, and I think that's what John Tortorella was doing. And I do think he is a little. I think it was easy for him to play the heel because I think part of him does believe that. I'm excited for the day where the NHL media's heel isn't automatically old school good. 
grind, heart, grit, only good, no skill, talent. Because I think that's just as obnoxious as people saying skill only, no toughness, no hitting, no grinding away. It's it's stupid. I, I do like Torts. I think he's a great guy. I think he's entertaining as hell in his own way. Got to be in either, you know, peak of the roller coaster or, or absolutely infuriating to have as your team's coach. So I'm happy he's not on the Red Wings. But yeah, I, I when I read that, I'm like, they did that to get clicks. It's got to be to get clicks, yeah, right? Oof. It's very... No one has talked about a good thing John Tortorella has said. It's been the shut up and this thing. And it's like driven conversations wild. It's hardly the most controversial thing that gets said anymore. So it's like, I can't be angry at that one. It is stupid. And anyone calling it out is right. But I think, yeah, I think it was a bit. Um, AJ Voss says, what's your biggest Red Wings if theory? For example, if Datsuk stayed, we would have drafted Chikrin. Or if we had we started rebuilding sooner, we'd be X in the league right now. Man. There's so much going back to 2009 that drives me absolutely bonkers here. I've got one that like I'll never get over. The Red Wings didn't get Marinosa. They would have went back to back. If um if DeKaiser didn't break his thumb in 2013. Okay, this is going way back, but ever since I heard this story from the man's mouth himself, I can't what if Wayne Gretzky did not call his father that fateful August morning in oh, 1988? Oh, that's brutal, man. That's the one. That's brutal. Because he was going to be a Detroit Red Wing. He was going to be a Red Wing. Hey, look. Look who the Red Wings ended up in. Ten years later, they they were doing they were running back-to-back cups. So it's like, do the Red Wings end up with the players that they do if they had Wayne no, Gretzky? No, yeah, it's team? butterfly effect. Nothing. But can you imagine just... Iserman and let's assume they don't end up with Fedorov or Konstantinov in that draft, but because Lidstrom was kind of the diamond in the rough, they probably still would have got him. Can you imagine Iserman, Lidstrom, and Gretzky through the nineties? That'd be they'd be at 13, I, 14 cups. I love Sergey, but Sergey's no Gretzky. I yeah, I, <laughs> I think I think that's another cup or two. That's an, at least another cup run. Like to say the least. Oh man. It's uh yeah I when I was at that event where I heard Gretzky telling that story I almost fainted. <laughs> I read that in in a couple books actually, and it was yeah, I've read books. The only thing that makes me feel a little better is he also told the story where he also agreed to a contract with the Leafs, and then the Leafs wouldn't pay the money. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that uh, yeah, it's tough being the Leafs. They really got to pinch those pennies. The league back in the day was hilarious. It's like guy signs contract, owner burns down his house to insult him for even or for insulting him to even ask for that much money. Like it was the wild west. Well, the Leafs then. wouldn't pay him because they were building the new arena at the same time, and they're like, ah, we don't have money for both. Yeah. Jesus. Uh, time for a Reddit question or two here. Uh, Malvda asked about Evander Kane in San Jose, which we chatted about. Um, Winger Dinger 19 says, had an argument with a buddy, Pavel Datsuk versus Patrice Bergeron. I know I'm biased, but I think Pavel was better on both sides of the puck. Curious what your takes are. Thanks for the content as always. Yes, that doesn't even feel like that much of a debate to me. I think Patrice Bergeron is one of the like real, and I don't want to say underappreciated, but just most solid good a like a, a player kind of player you can appreciate no matter who you're a fan of players of his generation pavel datsuk at his peak was the best player on the planet there was even if he wasn't he was in the conversation like is pavel datsuk the greatest player 
on earth right now. You could say that for about at least a two to three year span in his peak. That conversation has never been had for Patrice Bergeron. The only reason- One of the best players in the world, yes, but the best, no, never even in the conversation. The only reason his point cap was at 96 for those couple seasons or whatever it was, was because he was also winning Selkies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, honestly. Yeah, I don't... Uh- you put Pavel Datsuk at his prime in the NHL right now, he's getting 125 points. Oh, man. You put it. Okay, Pavel Datsuk with like Bruce Boudreaux as coach, just because he's the most recent, like offensively minded coach that's being talked about right now. Oh, God. Oh, my God. It's that's 120 points in his prime. Unleashed. Minimum. Minimum. <clears throat> with like the line mates and players who can Nikita finish. Kucherov has a 125 point season. Do you think Nikita Kucherov was Pavel Datsuk? No, absolutely not. Um, and then last question here. Ciderman says, has anyone coined this nickname for cider? Feels pretty city, uh, feels pretty fitting with the new movie coming out. Ciderman instead of Spider-Man. I think just Mo is what's stuck. Simplicity is king. Also, hockey players are ultra simple people. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he's behind closed doors. He don't be rule out the fact that he might just be Sidesy or something. Sidesy is legit what I was going to say. I was like, whether you like it or not, they might be calling him Sidesy. Yeah. It's weird. Out of the three of us, so he's the only one that's got a last name that works for it, right, Lobby? Yep. Also, you you'll be heartbroken to hear that uh, Nick Letty would be an easy one. They're like, oh, he keeps his name. I guarantee you, they call him Leds or oh, Letter or something. Leds, Leds, Letter. They just can't. They can't. <laughs> they can't not turn the stone. You know. My my last name stuck. I always got called Hannah, and it wasn't yeah. like an insulting thing. But I was like, that's fine. Yeah, that's what I get too because you can't go. Yeah, you can't shorten it to anything. Frisky sounds stupid. Yeah. Lobby. I'd call it Singer. Did anyone ever call you Singer? No. <clears throat> I, he would be Lobby or Lobs for sure. There'd be nothing else. Lobber? Mm. Ew. Is that Barely know her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point to end the episode. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back with you on Wednesday. We want to thank um, all of you. Um, I want to thank our the sponsors of this episode, the FanDuel Sportsbook. I want to thank our Patreon supporters, including our name-level sponsors, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sierra Grand Foundation, Kyle Kragitz, Nick Perks, Brett Bailey, Terry Driver of, of the number 69, Crying Ryan, Hannah Banana Slam, and Jamathong, and Brad Crisco's Breast Enhancement Foundation, um, Taylor Tagel, Matthew M. Rice, Brandon M., Carl Brutan, and Anna Chimmy, Citizen High Five, CJ Sully, Clayton Van Dyken, Craig Kibble, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Give Blood, Fight Probert, Greech, Hana Lee, Hassam al Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Jake Kiefer, Justin and the Angry Mob, Kaylin Wood, King Tone, Kyle Hashman, Matt McKay, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, Stacey Lynn, Zach Spring, Zarly Zalapsky, Crotch Zipper, Andrew Bohan, <laughs> Sam Bankson, Adam, I wish I could finish like Ernie, Antonio Gracias, Babe Landeskog, Ben Barron, Connor Leighton, Dave W., Eric Sinkowski, Evans Bingo Card, he's here and he's perfect, James Laporte, Jeremy Brocker, John Evans, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Logan Stull, Matt Keeler, Matt S., Matt $1 million, Pavel Buse, <laughs> Pavel Buse-Navich, Revy DeLuca, Terry Actual, uh, Trevor Pevavar, Zach Handy signed, 
Zach Handyside, and Zach McCann, a driving range superstar. Thank you all so much. We'll see you chumps midweek. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.